And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today is Tuesday, April 12th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Our uh, pre-shows, I, I've kind of referenced them sometimes. Is sometimes we talk about you know music, talk about what we did the weekend. I am very, I'm, I'm in a great mood because we just got to talk about wrestling for about ten minutes before we started this show. So I'm I'm all giddy right now. It's funny because the conversation started. We were talking about a new wrestling podcast that came out, and it led to me admitting that wrestling YouTube holes and rabbit holes. They're dangerous. I mean, they they, are. They, you can get down them very quickly. So we started getting in a conversational wrestling rabbit hole that ultimately had me close out like 10 Wikipedia <laughs> pages right before we started recording because I was just reading about how old Sting is. Yeah, that's where <laughs> we were. That you, you guys need a window into our thought process here before we start these shows. So just a heads up, a little bit later on today's show, Rhiannon Walker, who is a writer here at The Athletic, and covered... The Washington football team during Dwayne Haskins' tenure there is going to join us and just talk about what it was like to cover Dwayne and be around him. I just thought that uh, after the news, obviously, this weekend and the tragedy of him passing away, I wanted to get somebody who could provide some perspective on what he was like as a person. Because I think that one of my main takeaways from this weekend is just that it's really important to understand and separate who these guys are on the field and who they are as human beings and how we talk about them in that way. I think that's been a big lesson over the last few days or so. So a little bit later, Rhiannon's going to join us to talk about that. Before we do that, though, we're going to take a step back today away from the prospects in this draft. You know, when we've been diving into the draft conversation here over the last few weeks, it's been pretty prospects, prospect heavy, especially with you and me. We talked about yeah. the quarterbacks, we talked about the receivers. There'll be plenty more time for that over the next couple weeks before we get to the draft, which I can't believe it's a couple weeks away, but crazy. it is. So here we it's are. Crazy. We're going to talk from the team perspective today. Dig into some teams that really have a lot at stake in the 2022 draft. We're going to talk about the teams, the 10 to 12 or so teams that we think have the most at stake and have the most on the line in this draft. Yeah, I mean, there it's in a year that has more, it seems like more multi teams with multiple picks. Yeah, it's a really draft. weird year. And obviously, we're going to dig into those teams. But I mean, there are just so many teams in unique situations yeah. with their timeline and how much urgency they have. So there's no shortage of options here. And we're going to start with one of those teams that has multiple first round picks. I mean, the first team that came to mind when I wanted to do this exercise was the New York Jets. Yeah. You look at all of the picks they have from all of the deals that they've made. Right now, they have the fourth pick, the 10th pick, the 35th pick, and the 38th pick. That alone. That's pretty fun. <laughs> that, it's pretty fun. It, there's a, <laughs> that alone would put them in this conversation. But then you combine it with the urgency they showed and the aggressiveness they showed in free agency. Not a ton of crazy deals. You know, They're not out here spending like the Jags are on players at the top of the market. But they went out and signed several deals, several mm -hmm. deals that you know, aren't sizable. The Lake and Tomlinson contract. I mean, these are still $8, 10000000 million a year free agent contracts. 
So it just feels like where they are in their timeline, there was really only one place I wanted to start, and that's with the Jets and where they are right now in their franchise. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to build some momentum, if that makes sense. I kind of go like, all right, let's let's get this get the wheels turning a little bit. We already we're starting to build the engine, but let's see if the engine works. It's that's what it kind of seems. Right? So let's add this cog. Let's add this cog, and even the tight end signings. I, I really like that what they did with the, the Uzama and, and Conklin, like signing those two and getting like maybe that's a shift in kind of how they're viewing their personnel. And it's it's really what they're doing is going okay. We we have a quarterback on a rookie contract. Let's build around him. Let's see what we got. <laughs> let's use the money we, we have to fill some holes. Yes, and uh, yeah, we've oh, used Bengals as a verb. A lot in the last year or so when you bangles your defense and you yep. sign a lot of these guys to mid-tier free agent contracts, they've done that. Mm-hmm. The Jordan Whitehead contract is an example of that. They've bangles their tight end room with some yep. of those mid-tier deals. And when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, you can do that. You have the flexibility to fill some holes with that tier of contract. But in order for that entire plan to come together, you still need your superstar level players on rookie deals. The yep. Bengals version of this only works because they also have Jamar Chase to yep. go along with the Chidobia Wuzier contracts and the Von Bell contracts. You need both sides of it. And yep. now the Jets are tasked with filling out the other side of it. Yeah, that it's, it helps when you're a quarterback and your top two receivers who are both like Pro Bowl level receivers are all first or second year players. That's pretty, pretty nice uh, situation to be in, as opposed to what the Jets have Corey Davis's contract that they have on the books. I, I think it's not too bad, but, you know, it's still it's a different way they've re- configured these guys. Well, they just um, lack young yeah. star level players because their first draft under Joe Douglas it has not looked good so far. I mean, we'll see what happens with Becton, but the Denzel Mims hasn't played. Ashton Davis yeah. hasn't played. Yeah. And then you look at last year. So Elijah Moore, you know, hopefully will become one of those players. They drafted Elijah Vera Tucker. You hopefully he gets there, but mm-hmm. they spent a court. Their second pick was on a quarterback. So yeah. that's, they lack it because they use a top five pick on the guy that they hope turns into their franchise quarterback. So this is a draft where they need to start filling out this roster with those sort of rookie talent, high-end players and that's why it's so pivotal for them it's almost it's funny how the missing out on Tyreek Hill signaled where the Jets are thinking about their roster more than anything the fact that they're like oh yeah we're willing to part with these guys and go after Tyreek Hill it's like oh oh the Jets okay interesting that's not where I thought you're going with this offseason that's exactly why they're in this conversation because it seems like they have that urgency so let's let's talk about the Tyreek Hill side of this because if we're going through the needs that the Jets have and how this could go well for them. It feels like wide receiver is now in people's minds because they were going after Tyreek Hill, some reported potential interest in DK Metcalf. I'm wondering how aggressive they're going to be for a receiver. Does it feel like they want to go get one of these guys in the top 10? Are any of the guys in this draft worth getting drafted in the top 10? Are, was Tyreek Hill kind of a unique piece in that they would go after him, but they don't necessarily need a receiver of any kind? Because right now, if they have Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, Corey Davis on the tight ends, you could live with that. Yeah. You know, it's not a great group, but you could live Solid. with that. So yeah. I'm wondering if this was a Tyreek Hill or DK Metcalf specific pursuit, yeah. or if they're saying we need a number one receiver out of this draft. And that's what's interesting, especially with this draft class. And we talked about this last week. It's more guys that you'd be comfortable picking in the 20s 
Then that's the, why the, I didn't the, pair any of the receivers with them when we were doing the receiver podcast. And Jets fans were so pissed. It's like, well, I just don't think I would draft any of these guys at 10. It yeah. was all 15 through 30 is where I was thinking these receivers yep. would go. And that's actually what's probably going to happen. <laughs> it's going to go. I mean, I think it's going to be a machine gun of receivers in the second half of the first round. Uh, but it's that's their no man's land. They have picks in the 30s and then they have picked 10. And so no matter what, at pick 10, even if I like Drake London, that's still a little rich, you know, just a little yeah. bit like you're not. It's not ideal. You'd rather have them at 18. And I know that doesn't sound crazy. But it, it matters. It really does because it's opportunity cost at other positions that you could be taking there. Um, so if they really like a guy, and to me, to what I think they need, Zach Wilson, he, his college tape is littered with this, is throwing up 50-50 balls and then letting his guys go dunk on it. That's why you like Zach Wilson was his ability to create and get off the rows and make throws, getting the ball to his receivers to go make a play. So you kind of want to get guys that are good at that. And that's why I like to drink London with them. But again, it's at pick 10. They love him. Okay, go for it. But I like him more 16, 17, 18 if they can trade back to that spot. The other one that I, I would like, and I think we said this about every team with this guy, is Jameson Williams. Because that that makes a little sense. But again, pick 10 is rich. It, it's just a little rich for a guy coming off an ACL. So it's so, like, ah. So do picks 35 and 38 turn into pick 19? Oof. And they, they go with three first rounders. That's that the other be, thing, though. Financially, it, do you want to set weird. yourself up with that? Where you have three separate fifth-year options th- five years with. from now. That could be a headache they don't want to deal with. But that was in my mind. It's like, all right, if they really want to go get with someone like Jameson Williams, literally, who's who I had in my notes, yeah. can you get back up into the first round to do that? Do you even want to do that? So yeah. when you have the capital, these are some of the things that are now on the table that aren't for other teams. They can go down so many different paths. I think I think in a perfect situation is they take a defensive guy with their first pick and then at pick 10 they trade back. Like and then That would be perfect. That would be the perfect optim, optimal scenario for them, I think, if they do want to go down the receiver path with one of their early picks. Um, really just in general. But I, I also, yeah, you already mentioned it with the defense though. Like I did like how they bangles it a little bit, but I think they're in a position where they go BPA with all these picks. They can go with best player. But the receiver has to make sense. They, I think they do need one now. Like I, now that like at first I was like, well, they got the tight ends. They don't need a receiver. But then you look and you're looking at what the guys they have. It's like, they need a little more juice. <laughs> I wouldn't hate if they had just a little more juice at that position, especially to pair with their young, young quarterback. So, and also just to take away any, you know, any type of, I would say concern, but going like, well, Zach Wilson doesn't have the excuse if he doesn't develop how we thought he would. It feels like to me, corner is still a huge need for them and they're in a position with this draft where they're by all accounts are multiple top 10 prospects at that position pick 10 could be perfect for one could you take sauce gardner with the fourth pick yeah if if you wanted a long corner which in this defense and with this particular coaching staff has a lot of history and going after players like that so i that to me is still the one that i keep coming back to you know Mm -hmm. pass rusher has been mentioned a few different times and they were apparently in the market for some guys and are looking for more help there. I'm wondering how that fits together because they have Carl Lawson coming back. They signed mm-hmm. John Franklin Myers to that deal. Do you feel like you want to bump him inside and have another edge? Is that worth a top 10 pick? Yeah. I just don't know exactly where they can go because I think they're in a position where they could try to draft players at high leverage positions, right? Yeah. If they wanted to go get a tackle, George Fant has a million dollars in dead money left on his deal. We yep. don't know what's happening with Mackay Becton. So yep. it doesn't feel like they need to draft a receiver with one of those top 10 picks based on some of the other needs they have. Yeah. I think pick four is like 
whoever just falls falls to us. Yeah. Someone else gets too cute. Take the best guy we have on our board. Doesn't matter what the position is. If it's a tackle, it's a tackle. We deal with it. If it's an edge, if Thibodeau falls to us, we take him. If there's another guy we like, if we do want to juice up our secondary, maybe go with a the guy. There's another guy like Derek Stingley who yes. seems to be getting healthier. There's Whichever another. corner you like, right? Yeah, they just have so many pads. I, and I mean this all as a compliment. We're making it sound like, oh, these are it's question marks, but these are all like, this is a good situation to be in. Hundred really percent. It's it's a good situation. I don't want like Jets fans to jump down my. They put throats. themselves in a good spot. They have all of the resources that they have. They haven't leveraged themselves in a bad way with the contracts that they've handed out. You know, they haven't been quiet in free agency, but they haven't gone crazy either. Which is what you want. (laughs) That's why this draft is so important, because now you have all these picks. Can you hit on three of those four picks and really put yourself in a good spot? And then obviously the biggest wild card with all of this is do you help out your quarterback? Do, Do you remove doubt? Yeah. With your quarterback's development and what he is at the end of this season, have you helped him enough? And is that part of the reason they want to go get a receiver? It's yeah. like, how does that fit into this? Do you from this draft come away with a set of players where you can sit there going into training camp and even after the season ends and say, we did enough to help him. Now we have an idea of who he is, because I think now, that is still the central question of all of this, independent of the players they come away with. That's and I kind of hinted at a second ago. It's like that's what they're doing. They're taking. It seems like that they're trying to take any excuse possible, and now they can properly evaluate him and then whatever the situation is, as long as he's healthy. That's what it seems like, and that's the luxury that they've given themselves. Not a lot of people get that. Not a lot of people have to keep kicking the can, going, "Oh, I think he's okay." Well, maybe if we get a couple of offensive linemen, it'll help him, but. I think that's what the Jets are trying to do is go like, hey, let's make sure the rest of the team is good to go. And then we'll figure out what's going on behind center. So the Giants also have two top 10 picks. They're just in a different situation to me. The the urgency isn't even close to the same way that it is with the Jets. The Giants have spent no money this offseason for a bunch of different reasons. They don't have any money. (laughs) So that's part of it. But they're also setting themselves up for next year. I just think in the timeline of their team building process, this is a fine building blocks draft for the Giants. Because they're starting over potentially next spring. With a couple little strokes of the pen, they can have $120 million in cap space. They can just hit the reset button. So right now, if I were the Giants, I would just be in fine players mode. We'll figure out all the rest of it a little bit later. So because there isn't as much urgency and the timeline is different, they're not in the same category really to me as the Jets, even though they have two top 10 picks. Yeah, I think their number one... like thing they're trying to figure out this year is can we build around Daniel Jones or do we next year, next off season, are we looking somewhere else? That is, I think that's number one. I mean, that's everyone figuring out what their quarterback is and they're in a situation that that could really work out either way. Either it's like, wow, we really worked with him. We figured out something that he's good at. We've narrowed down what he's bad at and blah, 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 blah. And we could build around that. Or it's like, well, fr- screw that hard reset, <laughs> reboot this whole thing. Let's see, like, let's see what Kadarius Tony looks like in a more imaginative offense. You know, what pieces, what little tangible guys that we have all around on offense and defense and see what they can do. I think that's what they, and they got a good coaching staff. We keep, we've mentioned it several times that helps in the evaluation. Going like, hey, Wink, what do you what do you think about these guys? Oh, we got to move on. We need someone better at the linebacker. We need someone better at safety. Yada yada yada. We can lead to those discussions. I think that's where they're at. Where they're at. I think at. that applies and, to the quarterback too, because absolutely. now if you if you believe in your offensive staff and you think this group is going to put him in a much better position than the last group did by the end of the season, you have a pretty good idea of whether Daniel Jones is going to be your guy. Yeah, it's always I, a question of when this when this regime has no ties, ties. to him and no yep. investment in him. I just think that 
more times than not, it ends to you. It ends up with you moving on. You just don't. Yeah. You don't have any reason to chase it when this group has no incentive for him to succeed outside of we have him on a rookie contract and we can have him for a couple more years. If you're evaluating a guy that's your guy, uh, everything's glass half full and you're like, well, you know, exactly. uh, uh, the receiver uh, ran the route short. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be better next year. But then if it's glass half empty, then you just go, oh, you know, the quarterback, he just can't make that throw. That's and that's just that's exactly how it goes. That, though. That's, that's why it. those arranged marriages work out infrequently because yes. there's just so little incentive on the new staff to do everything they can to make it work. Another thing with them too is that I, I really want to, I would love for them to, I think this is every team. It's always the like optimistic view. It's like, oh, I'd love for them to trade back. I would love for them to trade back with one of their first rounders because just no for reason next not to year, try to pick up for, one next year. Yep. Get as many picks as possible to, for this year and next year. Just keep building. You know, know what you are as a franchise. I, I would love that for them. The nice part for them is even though they're against the cap, they've invested a lot in this current version of the roster, even if it's a temporary investment. Right now, there are no expensive players or veterans blocking guys at tackle and corner. If they wanted to go that route this mm-hmm. year, even if, again, you're trying to hedge your bets and play this weird middle ground between two yep. versions of the roster, you can do that definitely if you pick a tackle and a corner because those guys can start right away. You yep. have no $25 million players like Leonard Williams blocking Block either one spots. of those guys. Yeah. So I think even though the house is kind of half built, yeah. It it's built in a way that allows them to chase players at high value positions right now. The bathrooms aren't finished yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have incentive to build the bathrooms and that's exactly where there are, uh, there's a little bit of wiggle room. So I think that actually works out pretty well because this is with the assumption that James Bradbury eventually gets moved. Yeah. I, I just think that he, if you look at the financial too. realities of it, it just feels like they're incentivized to move on from him and to yeah. give themselves a little bit more wiggle room. So if they do that, I mean, Dory Jackson, they can't really move on from him. It's just, this team is just littered with horrible, horrible deals. So if they move Bradbury, you can just slot whatever that top 10 pick is into that slot, starting corner spot. And then your right tackle is the guy you draft fourth or 10th overall, whatever. Yep. It actually works out okay. And two premium positions. It's like, okay, yep. that's fine. You're, you're fine taking those guys early. But you don't have to do that. No, because again, you don't have to act on this version of the roster if you don't want to. Yep. There's, you can just be synergy in that situation. It's not the worst case scenario. All right. Let's talk about another team that also has two picks near the top of the draft. A team we have not talked about at all. I, I can't. I don't think we've spent more than 30 seconds on this team since the offseason started outside of the one huge move that they made because they haven't done anything worth talking about, and that's the Texans. Yeah. So after the Watson trade, they now have number three and number 13. They have 11 picks, including an extra third-round pick in the Bradley Roby trade. The Saints are just missing picks Always. It's like, why, why don't they have that third round pick? Oh, that's right. They oh, traded it right. for Bradley Roby, and he's not on the roster anymore. That's how the Panthers so, were, too. Anyway, <laughs> and they got they also got an extra fourth in the Watson deal. So that's right. there's not a ton of urgency from the Texans here. They have multiple not first round that, not picks. Not that they're trying on. to make you think otherwise. And, and they're not, right? They're not at all. AJ yeah. Can is the biggest outside deal they signed in free agency. It was two years and eight million. They have first round picks coming for the following two seasons in the Watson move. So they there's not a lot of fire under their asses to make something happen. At the same time, though, at a certain point, these have to become players. Like the picks have to become players. You have to start adding talent to your roster. And that's why I think they're worth mentioning here, even if they're not up against it the way that some of these other teams are that we're going to talk about. Yeah, and even like 
it seems so funny for a team that just traded Deshaun Watson. Like you'd be like, oh man, they're going to really look at a quarterback. And I don't think they're, they're going to give Davis Mills a chance. And I, I get Why it. Why wouldn't I can, you? I get it. I get it. Like, look, comparing Davis Mills to this class, he'd be right in the thick of things. <laughs> like, so, and he did enough as a rookie that I, you would look at him and go, okay, I'll give you another year to start. If you're going to give Jalen Hurts keys to the castle, you know, to do a keys to the castle. Is that even, that, that's a phrase, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's, that's a phrase. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded weird, <laughs> uh, but keys <laughs> to the castle, it did. Uh, but to, to do what he wants to do, like in uh, Philly who made the playoffs last year and they're in a, I know they're in a totally different situation, but still with the Texans, like Davis Mills had enough flashes to show that he can be a co- to competency at least that's like, all right, let's give you another shot at this. Um, so that's kind of what's interesting about them because usually with these teams that are blowing up and nuking it, you're like, well, quarterback, got to answer that. Then it just like you could see them going down several different paths. Um, they did sign Obu Okoraku. Okoraku. He was my uh, pick for the Millsap doctrine uh, to maybe uh, you know break <laughs> out with a little more tangible role. They, I, but it was only a one-year deal. I was hoping they'd go to more of a contending team, so maybe a breakout in that sense. But they can go premium position early if they like one of the tackles. If they, I, I know what they're doing. Larry Tunsil. Pass rusher. They can do pass so, rusher. So Tunsil just restructured his deal. Okay. So he's more likely to be around into the future, but they still need a right tackle. Yep. I mean, they, they could go any direction. Anything yes. is on the table for them at three and 13. Do they want to go get a pass rusher with yeah. that third overall pick? Do they go get another receiver with the pick that they got from the Browns? Because they're yeah. in range to go get one of those guys if they want to, even after signing Brandon Cooks to an extension. Anything is on the table for them. This team is weird as shit. It is. Okay? They have $35 million. Excuse me. Five, four, three. They have $51 million in dead money right now, which is second in the NFL because the Watson deal moving out from Zach Cunningham, Whitney Merciless. I mean, there are so many contracts that they've had to eat because of the last regime. So they have $51 million in dead money, which is second in the NFL. They're set to have $120 million in cap space next year. Laramie Tunsil is set to have a $35 million cap hit next season. And they restructured it. And you think, why would you restructure his deal when you're a terrible football team? Well, it's because they have $51 million in dead money. They're just in such a terrible spot. And that's why this is always going to be a slow-played thing. It was always going to be that. There is no urgency. But at the same time, they have to start getting players. <laughs> like yeah. at a certain point, when you have multiple first round picks, those have to start becoming building blocks. And that's why I think they're worth mentioning. No Absolutely. team in the league, I thought this was fascinating. Uh, Over the Cap has a tool that's really interesting if you guys want to go ever look at it. It's roster texture, and it lays out what tier of contracts make up NFL rosters. So no team in the league has a fewer percentage of their players on rookie deals or a higher percentage of their players on low-value contracts as defined by over the cap, which makes total sense because the Texans have traded all their picks away and they know they're not going to be good. So that's exactly where this team is right now. They're built on 75 to 78 overall guys at Madden. Like that's that's the the second straight year. But at least this year they have picks. Yes. Last year they had no picks. So now you're jumpstarting the rebuild in a slightly different way, even if it is still a long-term rebuild. That's what happens when Davis Mills is your quarterback and you've handed out no contracts in free agency again. God, I know. Like, like. I got excited about the the Obo signing, and then I, I was looking. I was like, "Who else they signed?" And it was like, "Okay, resign Brandon Cooks, I think." And then it was really that they brought back everything. Brandon Cooks. They signed yeah. Jalen Reeves Mabin to a two year contract okay. extension, and they signed AJ Can to a two year eight million dollar deal. That's it. 
That's what that's they it, did right? this offseason. Yeah. Yes, because they don't really have a lot of wiggle room to do much else. Just hang it out in Houston. <laughs> what a weird, weird. It's almost like every single. It's almost like we could have seen this coming with the last messages of the Bill O'Brien era, right? Like maybe that, like maybe indicated a couple things. Yeah, it's, you can go back and listen to some podcasts that Aaron Reese and I did at the time, and there are receipts about how bad this could potentially turn out. I mean, it's this is not shocking to anybody who was nope. paying attention. No, nope. all right, uh, nope. <laughs> so another team that has multiple picks up near the top of the draft after making some trades are the Seattle Seahawks. I think having three picks in the top 41 puts them in this discussion, even if I have zero idea, no idea. how they're no going idea. to approach this. What do you think the Seahawks think they are? Man, that is a great question. I think they think they're a, like a step away from my compete, not competing. What's the but step? Being like, but I don't know, but they're, they're built to be like a, they think, I think they're acting like they're a playoff team. Like, I don't know some of the signings they're doing and what they're whispering and stuff like that, but then they just don't have, they have drew lock at quarterback. <laughs> I don't know. Like this is one of the weirdest situations in rosters that I've been trying to figure out. I was on Jeff Schwartz's uh, uh, podcast last week and I, him and I, I, I said to him, I was like, he was like, would the Seahawks go quarterback? I was like, maybe. Uh, they might think Drew Locke is the guy. Who knows? Like Pete Carroll, like says everything at once. Like I, I don't know how to like discern it. Their moves seem like they're they feel like they're a step away, but I don't know what that step is. Like you said, so weird, weird roster. It, it really is. They bring in like Austin Blythe on a one year deal. You know, maybe he'll play center for them. It's like okay, that's a yeah a move that a team that's being patient would make. And yeah. then they sign Will Disley to a multi year extension. It's like all right, well I I don't really know how to square these things that they're yeah. doing. And that's the problem is that they've made moves that seem to be on either end of the spectrum. Yep. And it's hard to understand where between those two points they believe that they fall. If they think, all right, it's quarterback time. If we get our guy, we can do some stuff right now. I think that's misguided. But if they believe that, then they have a ton at stake in this draft yeah. because it's their move at quarterback. I feel like they would be well served to just say, you know what? We'll roll with Drew Locke for a year it's not going to be great maybe we can talk ourselves into what he looked like in this offensive system with rich scangarello a couple years ago Mm -hmm. if you're trying to see that half glass glass half full sort of mindset they use the 10th overall pick potentially on a tackle which is to me the most glaring need they have on the entire roster and they say we'll take a couple lumps this year we have multiple high picks next year including multiple first rounders and we'll see what happens that's what I would do. I have zero idea if that is aligned with their thought process and their opinion of themselves in this moment. Yeah, because a lot of the other moves is like you quarterback regardless. Like bringing back Quandry Diggs for a decent chunk of change is kind of like a – The Nuosu contract. Nuosu. Oh, my God. Yeah. And not really kicking the can on the DK Metcalf stuff like that uh, you know, or answering those calls, it seems like, at least publicly. That – I don't know. It really seems to me it's like if they don't go quarterback at nine – they're swallowing it, throwing out Drew Locke there, and they're just going, well, we'll deal with this next year. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll regroup next year because otherwise, unless they're optimist, uh, you know, optimists about Drew Locke, which, you know, as anyone that listened to this show since day one <laughs> knows I am not as much. Uh, but it's just a strange, strange roster because they have a lot of short-term moves on uh, one side of their mouth and a lot of the other side of their mouth is like, oh, no, we're regrouping our own entire team. So I honestly couldn't even tell you, like, gun to head. 
it feels like they would be the type of franchise that would talk themselves into the idea that it was more important to have Baker Mayfield than it was to have Drew Locke in order to maintain some semblance of organizational culture in terms of like winning. Like we're trying to win. Like we yeah. want to put the best quarterback possible out there because we're not willing that's to the be, message. We're not yeah. willing to be bad. Yeah. And I don't know if that's ultimately what ends up happening or where they end up going in that position. But if they don't draft a quarterback and they're just kind of sitting back and waiting to see how this all unfolds, that wouldn't shock me. Yep. as a mindset from them as an organization. Yep. I they could do three different things. They could go quarterback, they could go, go on the Baker or they could go with Drew and uh, Drew Locke and I would just be like, yeah. Like that like all of them none, none of those doors would surprise me if they opened it. Keep Seattle weird. That's yeah, it. oh god. They, it, it's <laughs> Like, yeah, you're you're 100 right. Like any of the doors they end up opening, I'd be like, okay, I guess that makes sense. I mean, there's just it's very hard to understand what they're trying to do right now I'm after the after the Wilson move. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's talk about the Saints, because I think by making the move that they did, the Saints threw themselves onto this list. Yeah, they kicked that door down. <laughs> we talked about doors opening. They were like, yeah, no, we're doing stuff. But what is that stuff? We haven't discussed this, and we haven't discussed the move and some of the fallout from it since it initially happened. Now, Dan Jeremiah tweeted last week that he talked to multiple GMs, and it sounded like this is a team that thought they were close in the NFC. And that if they can get multiple contributors this year, can it put them over the top or can it kind of put them in the conversation in the NFC? I feel like I'm being gaslit. Yeah. <laughs> like I, From a process perspective, that is so suboptimal that it's hard to believe it's true. Yeah. Part of me is just sitting here thinking like, no, I'm not going to believe this. You cannot incept me into thinking that this is right. <laughs> this has to be for a quarterback or it doesn't make sense. But yeah. there is a chance because they do not operate like everyone else. I can understand them talking themselves into the idea that, okay, in that range, if we get a left tackle and a receiver, we can compete in the NFC right now. Our defense is good enough. Those are our two biggest glaring holes. I can understand them getting to that place. I think that's the wrong way to go about it. But I do think that the rationalization from their end is possible based on their history with the way that they do things. I th- are they they think like that 2017 draft like that just happens every five years like they're like hey it's, they're like Haley's comet like we just we just I made a joke draft last week they're just huffing fumes off that thing and <laughs> it, it, Mickey Loomis is just what's his name from uh, almost famous He's like I'm a golden god standing on top of the roof on LSD like that's kind of what this feels like uh, I I dig music. I, that's my, I, uh, my wife, I, my wife and I watched that. She's never seen it like two weeks ago. We just watched it. So it's funny. You just brought that movie up, but it's 
Honestly, it's just like the Seahawks with the 2012 draft. They're like, oh yeah, this happens every every couple of years, right? You just nail on like three Hall of Fame talents. And also without Sean Payton, they could go down. I I honestly, the first message that comes out, it's always like, that's who's trying to guide the narrative, whether it's from a team or an agent or yada, yada from the league. And the fact that the first smoke message was, nope, they're not trading up for a quarterback. No, that's they're why I, my, my alarm bells are going Same. Off. The fact that it came out so quick was like, hmm, that... Because that, like you said, that's so suboptimal that it's so hard for me to justify a team that even if they are, they beat to, you know, they march their own beat like the Saints do and do what they want to do. And they certainly do. And that's important to keep in mind as we're thinking about this. It just, it's like, that's, that's a way different beat. (laughs) I mean, that is like totally off kilter, like from what I would expect a team to do. They might, it just doesn't smell like that. Just, it smells like another move is coming. It just does. And that's why I'm going to keep saying until in three weeks from now, when you're here or in a couple of weeks from now, when you're here in Vegas, and I look at you and go, I guess they are taking a tackle and a receiver in the first round. And maybe that is what they're doing. So who knows what they're, what, what the saints are right now, no matter what, either of those timelines, there's a ton at stake Oh, because yeah. you're either making a bet on your next quarterback Or you've traded away your first round pick in next year's draft and you have made it so you need to hit on those two guys in order to make this worth it. And that's a position you just never want to be in. But there's a chance they've looked at the entire chessboard. They've thought about the players they have on defense, the fact Mm -hmm. that they're getting a little bit older. You're like, you know what? We have a chance right now to make this happen. That's an incredibly risky way to think. But either way, they have given themselves a huge sense of urgency as it relates to this draft. Yeah, they it was like it was like they got bored playing blackjack and they're like, let's go play craps. Like that's that's what they did. Like they were just like, ah, oh, this is boring. Let's or go bet they, or they were playing blackjack, but you know, you know what? You know, I'm just gonna put everything I have on this last hand. You know, yeah. I, I've been here for too long. This is yeah. boring. It's playing boring. like twenty bucks a hand just isn't worth it anymore. Just I, yeah. the juice is not worth. What's the, the table max? What's the table max? Yeah, I'm I'm putting that on. Like yeah, that's it. Just seems like, and this is without like it's not like. The whispers are coming. Oh, this is Sean Payton's last year. He's already gone. It's it's weird. It just seems like they're regr- they should be regrouping. Instead, they're like, now nah, we're doubling down. So it's one of the most curious teams and a team that it was already curious before because it was like, okay, this is a new step for the franchise without Sean Payton. What are they going to do at quarterback? That's always going to be the first question with teams. But now it's like now the questions are different than what I was expecting to to ask a couple of weeks ago. So it's yeah, very very interesting team. Well, they also. Gave Jameis Winston a two-year, twenty-eight million dollar deal. He has yeah. eleven million dollars in dead money left on the deal after this year. So if they trade for a quarterback, that doesn't make a ton of sense. I, I just don't really understand exactly what's happening. That leads me to believe that it actually is for two players, yeah. and they want to go chase those two guys. But the process of getting there, I think, leaves a lot to be desired. They're, they're just a, again, they're in their own zip code. Yeah. They, they, they operate are. in their own way. They are thirty-first in the percentage of their players on rookie deals, which That's makes total amazing. sense when you trade all your picks away. But there's a chance, like, you know what, we need a couple cheaper players on the roster. Just the way they've gone about it is so confusing. So we'll see what ends up happening. But either way, there is a lot on the table for them right now. Okay. The Kansas City Chiefs have to be in this conversation just based on the sheer amount of picks that they have. They have four picks in the first two rounds. And this, to me, is just, this is Chiefs 2.0. Here we go. Like, this is what the next stage of it looks like. And what this draft ends up being is a huge piece of that. I mean, this is going to be the pivot point from the first era of the Mahomes time in Kansas City to the second era, and that's why this is a huge, huge draft for them. 
Yeah. And we say reboot sometimes and you know, movies they call it like, or franchises, they call it a soft reboot. You know, it's like, it's a remake, but it's also a sequel at the same time. Kind of thing. A couple of characters you recognize from the old movies, new main cast, like a James Bond movie. Like I'm, I'm just rolling with this, I, I, this metaphor. It's like Mahomes is James Bond. They got the same M, the same Q, but then they got new, you know, new Bond girl, new villains. Like that's kind of what it feels like a little bit with the Chiefs, but they're in a good spot to replenish those positions they need, you know, defensive help. If they want to go with another lineman, they want to go receiver. They're kind of sitting in that nice area for those positions, especially in this draft. It really seems to me that they're all in on this and having these receivers be more of the big body guys that I like, like really, it's really kind of fun is that they're going for power slots. They're going for Juju and the MVSs of the world. And MVS is people know him as a vertical guy, but that guy can block his ass off. And going with them, those two guys, they're basically de facto tight ends with Kelsey as their split out receiver. So it's the only receiver they've had on a top 30 visit so far as George Pickens, which I think is very interesting because if that's their guy that they're tabbing, I know top 30 visits could be you bring a guy in for a million different reasons. Medical. We want to have a deeper interview with this guy. Oh, this guy's a late day three guy that we're interested in. Smokescreen. It could be a million different things. But the fact that they're having him in, that's another guy that could be a power slot vertical guy. So it's interesting that they're really maybe leaning into that type of body type at receiver after the last few years, they went speed, 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 speed. So very, very curious about philosophical change with their offense. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a little replenishing, rebooting 2.0 version of this chiefs team. Well, the receiver, it's easy to kind of point to that because where their picks are is where we expect some of these guys to go. The fact yep. that they traded away Tyreek Hill, it, it's tempting to just say, okay, how do they replenish the receiver room? But yep. for me, those four picks are about replenishing the rest of the roster. Yes. Because their problem is outside of Mahomes being on a huge mega mm-hmm. extension, they have a ton of expensive players. They're third in the percentage of the elite level contracts they have as it relates to the rest of the league. You look at some of the deals that they've handed out. I mean, Chris Jones is on that massive contract. Frank mm-hmm. Clark's on a big contract. Mahomes is on a big contract. They need to offset this with some cheaper players, not just at receiver, but look at the secondary. I mean, you lose 600 snaps of Mike Hughes. You lose 900 snaps of Traverius Ward. Can you go get a cheap first or second round corner? They've gotten by with scraps at cornerback under Spagnuolo. There's a chance that's a philosophical thing that they Mm -hmm. continue to do. But can you go get some cheap rookie contract talent at cornerback? Can you go find another edge player? that you mm-hmm. desperately need. This is a chance for me to replenish the defense as much as it's your chance to replenish the receiver room with some cheap rookie contracts. We talk about defense being, a, 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 it's it's team stuff. It, it's a team thing. That's why it ebbs and flows so much from year to year. But it's really, yes, stars matter. Having Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey makes your life a lot easier. But most defenses live and you know thrive by the weakest link. The Chiefs have six picks, six picks in the top 103 so they've really six top 100 picks like that that's these are the guys you get a lot of starters at a pick 50 a pick 62 you can get starters on defense at those yes. especially in the front seven like just anything i they need bodies and they're trying to get cheaper bodies like you said bringing up the mahomes deal that's they're they live in a new world now this is what they're this is the path that they're on so yes this is how they're going to go about it is they're like hey maybe we package two of the guys up if we really like one guy but I don't see them doing that. I think they just need bodies throughout the rest of the team, and they're just trying to lift that floor up, I think, with the rest of the team. This, to me, is a pivot point for the next three, four years for them. It's a mm-hmm. long-view thing. 
the Packers are in a similar position with even more urgency because of the Aaron Rodgers side of all of this. Mm -hmm. It's not a four to five year looking forward projection based on this draft. Zero. It's a what can we get right now? Because they also have four picks in the top 60. And where with the Chiefs, like, oh, you know, maybe they go with a receiver, but I also think they could use a corner and they can use an edge player and they can go all these different directions. And it all makes sense. Packers almost need one. Yeah. The Packers need one right now based on their timeline, their needs, everything else. So they're in a similar position with even more incentive to get this figured out quickly. I mean, Matt LaFleur at the owners meetings essentially said, we need more speed at receiver and we need to be able to integrate one of these guys quickly. If they don't pick a receiver <laughs> with one of those two first round picks, I would be absolutely shocked. I don't feel that way about the Chiefs. Yeah, Chiefs. The Chiefs' room, even without Tyreek Hill, is way better than the Packers' receiver room. As much yeah, as they I like stole Lazar. MVS, they they have MVS and the yeah, Packers they, don't. They swapped them over exactly. And yeah, so it. The weird thing with the Packers, though, is they have you know they they're a franchise that really likes their types at each position, and not just receiver, but every position. They have guardrails, as some teams call it. I like to call it thresholds. And they like bigger receivers. Like they have a, basically a weight threshold. Even with uh, uh, Amari Rogers last year. He's smaller, shorter, but he's still thick. Like he's still like 210. They like their 200 plus pound receivers. So it's almost read between the lines. You can start narrowing down what types of guys they go for. Like, and that's why it's interesting is what if, do they go for a skinny receiver? Like what if Olave or Garrett Wilson falls to him? Do they take the guy or they just go, no, no, we only, we only get 200 plus pound guys. Like that's always interesting too. It's like, do you break the mold because you like a guy better than you like your thresholds? So that's another part of this is that it feels from the outside like they have to chase these needs because of Rodgers' age and because of where they are. Yep. But this team for the last 30 years never done that. has never done that. Ever. So do they say, you know what? We're going to keep going the way we're going here. We're going to pick the best players that we think fit our long-term model and who we are and all of that as we're all sitting here being like, no, you need these three guys yeah. in order to maximize this tiny little window that you have. You yeah. need to come away with a receiver, a right tackle, and some beef on the defensive line in this draft, or what are you doing all this for? How, how nice must it be to be a Packers fan that you have the st- stability to go back to 30 years of thresholds and th- 30 years of how you draft? It's and insane. Like, lo- it's, it must be so nice. <laughs> like We talk about teams that like in two years of going like, well, they have an identity after two years. Packers, they just – we talk about be, uh, going marching to your own drum. Packers are just going to do Packers things, and they're just – they're at their own pace. It still feels like they have to be jolted out of that a little bit, though. I feel like they are. You, you have how many more years with this guy? And even if you still believe in Jordan Love, the uncertainty yep. waiting around the corner, I still think you have to chase it a little more in this draft than you would have otherwise. This, they were willing to pay Devontae. It's yeah. not like they were like, you know what? Nope. This is the line in the sand. We're Devante's not doing choice. this. Yes. Yep. And I do think that is telling. That is such an important fact. Yeah. Tyreek was, nope, you're out. Devante was like, no, they, we want you back. And, and I think that speaks to the different points these two franchises are yeah. at. Even yeah. if the trades look Great similar, point. because the Chiefs have a quarterback who's 26 years old, there's financial certainty with him, there is a long-term plan in place there, you can operate a little bit differently. It still feels like desperation isn't the right word, but you need to be more pointed in the way that you're attacking this if you're the Packers compared to what the Chiefs have to do. When you get aggressive, you start, you know, breaking some rules. Like you start going like, ah, we're we're gonna start 
uh, squeezing this guy. Oh, we like him at pick 40, you know, picking before we'll take him at 20, whatever they're at 28. No, 20. Yeah. 28. Yeah. We will take him there. Like, you know, that's, it just does seem like that. Like you said, it's especially when the rest of the roster is really kind of set in place. Like, I mean, they have a lot of good players on defense. Like they have some decent players, but now it's like, as opposed to just BPAing it, need becomes more of a priority. It's want or need. It's now they're needing things as opposed to just, oh, we want that. And we'll see if it comes to us. Speaking of a team that might be in a similar situation for different reasons, I wanted to mention the Chargers here because (laughs) the Chargers are in a good spot. And when you have that quarterback on a rookie deal, and you can go spend in the way that they have. You can go get a Khalil Mack and a J.C. Jackson. And you can give Mike Williams that extension. But at the same time, you're blessed to have that quarterback in a rookie deal. But you feel the crush of needing to make the most out of it. Yeah. And that's why, even if at first glance it doesn't seem like they should be in this conversation, that pick at 17 now becomes so important. Because if you can finish off one of those final needs, whether it's, wide receiver, whether mm-hmm. it's a right tackle, whatever you think the most important thing is, if that hits, now you look at the roster and you think, you know what, we, we're ready. Like yep. we're, We are ready right now. And they don't have as much draft capital as the other teams on this mm-hmm. list. And I think they're in a better position roster-wise than a lot of teams on this list. Mm-hmm. But that pick becomes a pivot point. It can it take does. you over the top in a way that it can't for a lot of other teams picking in this range, in my opinion. Yes, because if they hit on the pick, they can go nuclear. Like yes. they can. Like if they if they do, if they even if they're only expecting to hit a double with the pick, and they, that guy turns out to be a freaking you know moonshot, like like the Cowboys last year with Micah Parsons. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's okay. A great got, example. Great but that example. Super juiced the entire team. All of a sudden, their defense was a, went from a question mark to a strength like overnight because of a rookie. Like that's. I mean, other guys stepped up. Don't get me wrong, but it's like that really supercharges everything. No pun intended about the Chargers, but it's it's they if they hit on that position, it can really really help. And I think. If they want to go tackle, you know, right on the right side, if maybe even guard, if they want to go D tackle, if they really Jordan Davis, everybody and their mother has mocked them with Jordan Davis. But if they want to go receiver and really make the offense even more, you know, more of an explosive unit like that pick, if they hit it, it can also go like, oh, the Chargers are, you know, everybody's favorite to like, wow, they're actually a legit contender because they have this extra juice that that rookie gave them. So that's why it can make their window more of a, a 2% window to an 8% window. And that doesn't sound crazy, but that freaking matters. Like I know, and it's, I know it's just one rookie, one pick, but that's the thing. If you nail this, it can really help your entire outlook on everything. And I also think that the Bengals are in this conversation. I think they're in a similar spot, even though they're picking later in the first round and they just played in the Super Bowl. When you look at what they've done this off season, they've plugged a lot of holes. They fixed Mm -hmm. the offensive line. Props to them. Whatever you way. want to say, they, fixed. Yeah. yeah. They've done what they've done what you would expect them to do. Wanted them to do. Yep. They looked at the offensive line and said, we need these marginal upgrades in these spots. We need to yep. get average at these places. And then Lyle Collins, I think, is a little bit better than that. Yep. Hayden Hurst is a replacement for Uzama. Yep. They have filled the spots they need to on offense. Now, can you get some immediate contributors from the draft to really be the final flourishes on this thing? Because the thing that concerns me with the Bengals. I understand filling the holes on the offense, and that's where you want to use your resources. It is so tempting to look at a team that went to the Super Bowl last year and say, all of that stuff is going to stay the same, yeah. and then we fix the bad things. They have done nothing on defense this offseason. Nothing. 
That's okay if your mindset is, well, we don't have any holes on defense. We don't have to do anything. But that is usually a recipe for taking a step back. You know, Joseph Osai is going to hopefully come back from injury this year. He was the third round pick last year. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, there are no reinforcements coming. So with that 31st pick, can they find a playmaker on defense? Can they get one or two little ingredients from this draft that combine with the holes they filled on offense can take them up that final level to be one of the teams in the AFC this year? The conversations are similar just because the financial timeline with the quarterbacks is similar. Absolutely. Same draft class for the quarterback. So it makes yeah. sense, you know, and yeah, that's it. And they don't have the usual question mark when you have a young quarterback and going like, well, we need to give him some playmakers, you know, open the They're things all up. set. They're all set. Yeah. <laughs> they already have a back too. They already have Mixon who's, you know, can catch some passes too, but it's, they have some good pieces and the fact they upgrade their offensive line. So like you said, it, it goes, now the focus goes to the defense and honestly, some of the pressure goes on to Zach Taylor as a play caller and a play designer as well. Because I've given him benefit of the doubt going, your offensive line, shit. I I don't care. I can't critique you because you can't do much. All right. We're taking that excuse away now. What do you got? What do you got, Coach Taylor? Now, that's a, like kind of like a little sidebar about a little pressure on that offense is now they, you know, those excuses are gone. Now we actually have to see, is it Joe Burrow just creating or can you actually put together a game plan for 60 minutes? So that's another little kind of like side story with all this. But as far as the defense, again, they're picking at 31. Not usually you can get like in that spot. It's sometimes once in a while you get the TJ Watts of the world, <laughs> you know, once, once every 10 years. And what was he picked 29 or 30, whatever he was. But I think for now, but if they just get a tangible good starter on a rookie deal, that's going to matter so much for them and what their timeline is. So I, I'm agreeing with what you said is that they just get a good starter there. It could help so much. Let's say he fall. You could forget Devonte Wyatt from Georgia at 31 there. Yeah. Right. And you just drop him in. So you have now you have BJ Hill, DJ Reader, and Devonte Wyatt. Whoever the splash yeah. defensive player is, if it's a linebacker, whoever it ends up being, mm -hmm. you just it's so important to remember that defense is not going to maintain. Yep. You just need to keep injecting it with with talent Different all ways. the way through. You need to refresh yeah. it in yep. some way. And if they can just have that little bit that little jolt from whoever they draft at 31. Like those are the tiny things that can help take you over the top. And that's why I just think they're worth mentioning in this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, and it's anything too. Like that's just not even talking about the draft, but like even free agency, getting a, a Justin Houston as a designated pass rusher, that helps. Getting a, a nickel type. And that they've done helps. none of that. They've exactly. done none of that. And th that's okay. I understand it's okay. Yeah, 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 based yeah. on their yeah. resources why they haven't. But that little ingredient is just so important mm -hmm. when you're thinking about championship recipes. Yep. You just need those super role players and that's what these guys can be. All right. Speaking of championship recipes, let's talk about the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> they're a mess, man. They have to be here. It, they're on the opposite end of the spectrum compared to the other teams we talked about because they have no draft capital, right? Yeah. They Shocks me every time. They're picking at six and 137. Every time I look at it, it's it's harder to imagine and harder to believe. Yep. The reason I feel like we have to talk about them here is that the clock has to be ticking, right? Yeah. On this regime. Like that sixth overall pick becomes super important and crucial just because if you don't get this right, how much more leash does this coaching staff and this current era get for them? Yeah. Do you know they only own two of their own picks this year? So they have a fourth rounder, two fifths, a sixth, and a seventh. They own their first and one of their fifths. 
So the fourth is from the Rams. The fifth is from the Jaguars. The sixth is from the Raiders. The seventh is from the Patriots. Like what? It's it's the weirdest like shell game that they're doing with this stuff. And they have to like they've cornered themselves into taking a quarterback here because if they were had any sense of somewhat of patience, they could just go, oh, we'll take it. We'll take Charles Cross if he gets there at six. And OK, we re- rebuild the old line. If we really get another tangible player on the inside. But instead, they're having to reach for somebody. They're the they're the Morbius of NFL franchises. And. Matt rules Jared Leto like that. That's what it feels like, man. I know Dane mentioned on the show last week that there's chatter yeah. about them trading down. I just feel like so many different things point to them having to pick a quarterback. Yeah. Not only a glaring need at quarterback, but isn't it really the only way to give yourself more time? Yeah. If you're this regime, you go to your owner and say, well, we drafted a quarterback. You know, we need at least a year, maybe more. To see this through. Yeah. If you roll with Darnold again, or you trade for Jimmy G, whatever it is, and it goes south and you win five games, isn't that it? Doesn't that yeah. have to be it? Yeah. Like what why would we give you for another year? Yeah. I mean, that's what you have to do. And I mean, honestly, if you know the owner is a is a pick grad, you take Kenny Pickett, make him happy, and go, hey. Hey, we got your guy. Let me coach him up for another year. I mean, that's what they've just cornered themselves into the stupidest corner. Like they really have. And it's like, it, it, I'm, I'm very curious how they're going to get out of it. But that's what it seems like they have to do is take a quarterback. Because like you said, trading down just doesn't really make sense with what they are. Maybe they're trained down to get a quarterback. But oh, like, they, they don't just... think they can draft one of those guys at six. I have no idea. Yeah. Because they're in their own world. They it, are. They, it is such a weird situation to have no picks and to be where they are in their trajectory. <sighs> what if they take a, Willis? You know, like that's like that's just a home run swing, and Willis needs time to develop. Good. So like, <laughs> that's we, how you give yourself three years. Yeah, you know, but then no, we just we, we need a couple of years. To, he needs to sit for a while. He needs a rest. Trust us, he's going to be great. Yeah, we he just we a, need at least a year to get there. He needs a gray shirt and then red shirt, and then and then we get time with him. That's what that's what it seems like. But man, it's what a weird team. I, I just think we they have to be in this because we're talking about things at stake. What they yeah. do with that sixth pick and what ultimately happens with quarterback for them. I don't know if any team has more at stake because if we're talking about teams on the hot seat, coaches on the hot seat, yeah. regimes that are kind of nearing their end, I feel like they have to be the first one that you have to mention. Yeah, everybody's got a, 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 a fuse lit on them, and theirs feels like it's like they have one notch before yes. it's about to explode. That's what it just feels like with everything they do. All right, a couple teams I think that are worth mentioning here, even if the urgency isn't quite at the same level. The Eagles, and, and the only reason I think we have to mention the Eagles because they have multiple first-round picks, but that trade yep. with the Saints gave us a window into their thinking and their timeline, none of which is surprising. Yep. We always knew that they were going to try to slow play this, mm-hmm. and that now they have the first, the extra first next year. You know, The quarterback move is likely coming down the road if Hurts doesn't work out. So they haven't backed themselves into a corner. They've handled this the right way, but anytime you have multiple first-round picks, you by definition have a lot at stake in that particular draft. <laughs> right. Yeah. But they, they're giving them a chance to pivot where, however they want to do it. Like they, now they've kept themselves open in the market next year. If the trade stuff still goes crazy with the quarterback market, they can move up for a guy. If they don't bottom out, like they can do a lot of things. That's what it seems like they're doing. Like you said, it's just, they're assessing hurts, seeing if they can get another leap out of them. If they get another leap out of them, holy shit, this is great. You know, but if they don't, okay, we got ammunition to make a move. Um, I also think that the timeline gives you more wiggle room and flexibility with the positions that you can chase in this draft by saying like, we don't need to fill holes right now. We're on yeah. a multi-year plan. If you look at their roster, 
defensive back and wide receiver jump out as two positions that they could use. But if you're if this is a multi year build, then Fletcher Cox is on a one year contract. Maybe we yeah. look for some youth along the defensive line. It just yep. feels like they can go in so many different directions because of the timeline that they've put themselves on. And where they're picking with those two picks that they have this year makes total sense for where they're probably going to go. Like you just said, receiver or any defensive help whatsoever. This draft is littered with a lot of guys between picks 10 through 50 that are in that spot. Like the, those, the, the, those don't seem like reaches. If you take that, if you take another, if you have a third pick and you're like, well, we already took a receiver. We already took a deep tackle. Oh man. Well, let's get a linebacker now, but now you're reaching half around and then it's, you know, as opposed to just kicking the can down the road. So that's what it just seems like they're doing stuff at their own pace. Uh, smart moves for short and midterm. That's just kind of what they're the Eagles MO at this point in time. Yeah. They have a lot at stake just in terms of draft capital, but they're not backed into a corner, which is exactly yeah. the position you want to be in as a franchise. <laughs> yes. All yes. right. A team that might not seem like an obvious one because they're picking at the back of the draft. But I think that what has happened over the last couple months indicates the timeline that they're on. I wanted to mention the Bills here Mm -hmm. because what if they get that a corner with the 25th pick or what if they get like a little bit of speed at receiver with the 25th pick that if they can just have a guy that helps them put it over the top with that first round pick or with their first two picks, whatever it is. I just think when you're so close and you've made moves like the Von Miller deal that is a sign that you think you're close, then it just adds extra importance to every single draft, even if they're not – listen, Brandon Bede isn't in the verge of getting fired. It's not like they need to get this right or it's going off the rails in Buffalo. I just think that some of the other moves they've made are an indication – that they're feeling a little itchy to get this thing done. Yeah, the the Von Miller signaled a lot. Von Miller tr- yes. signing signaled a lot, and in a weird way, by signing him, it alleviated some stress in a way. Like, no, I, I get it. Like they're saying, like this is our window and everything, but some stress of finding that guy at pick. You know, whether they have pick twenty five, like they they're saying, oh, we need to get another guy up in our front seven that can rush the passer and everything. Okay, now we got a guy. Now everything doesn't feel so urgent. Now they can go BPA, but like if they, God, I would love a couple guys at receiver for them, like Alave, Wilson, Dotson. They could go with any of those speedier, smaller guys. That's they're fine with it. They don't have size thresholds at that position. They love having the Smurfs, but like say if they get a guy that can add some juice to that position, make their offense go supersonic, like that is oh that'd be so cool to see. If they want to get another front guy, uh, you know, up, up, up on the D line, if they find an offensive lineman interior exterior exterior i've never said that in my entire life on the outside <laughs> a guy that they might like and want, want to groom him across like you know as guys replace some of the guys down the road like they they can go down so many different paths and they've kind of put themselves in that position but now it's it's in a weird like they could either go okay we've groomed this guy down the road or we want to get an instant contributor and that's going to be more of the argument now with these kind of picks so that's what's curious what they're doing right now. that's why i just think they're worth mentioning here like yeah. if they're looking at that the one hole that i think is left on their roster right now in this moment is that extra other corner spot it's like can, that, if we go get our, our other there. corner there <laughs> yeah. and that is just it bring everything else falls into place like this is the roster this is the one final thing we needed to put this thing over the top that's just why i think they're worth mentioning they, because they they're so close they could also go like like a, another safety with their older safeties and have that guy be like a super role player and then move him back, you know, because they they like to go big nickel, you know, stuff like that. So I know it's they're a very interesting team, uh, uh, just overall everything they do. Last one that's worth mentioning here, I, I 
they just have 12 picks, and that, so the thing we have to match is the Jags. We've yeah. spent so much time on the Jags this offseason, but when you have the first overall pick, when you have four picks in the top 70, there's so much draft capital on the table for them right now. They, by definition, again, have a lot at stake in this draft. Yeah. I like the Arden Key signing for them, by the way. We haven't gotten to talk about it. I like that for them. That, that was that was okay for them. Uh, but they haven't brought any receivers for top 30 visits, which has just been stunning to me. Well, when, uh, you're paying, when you have a top five guy in Christian Kirk, you don't need oh any more help at receiver. It just makes me laugh. I know I, I can't stop piling on about it. They're going to be fine. That's the thing. They're, Kirk and Zay Jones are going to be fine, but it's just could have done so much more. <laughs> um, uh, but again, like they're likely going to go DN first. It seems like that's what the smoke signals seem like, even though I would want them to go tackle because I don't know. I just, I, I just, building this roster out, but they could go in so many different paths. It's just that the guy at the helm, who knows where he's going to steer it down. <laughs> I have no idea where he's steering that franchise direction down. So it's, they have a question answered. They have the quarterback. They got some more tangible players. I guess that's a nice off season, but yeah, all these picks can go in so many different directions. I just hope they, they utilize them in a good way, build up around Trevor Lawrence. That's all you got to freaking do. And then figure out the defense later. That's I'm going to keep saying that. All right. Those are the teams that we're going to hit. That was fun. It's always good to kind of take a step back and think about it from that perspective. We're so knee deep in the players and the prospects right now. I just think talking about where some of these teams are that really have to get this right and what that looks like is an important exercise this time of year. So I'm glad that we did that. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze all lowercase go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business no matter which stage you're in shopify.com slash maze as you've probably heard by now we've teamed up with betmgm this season we'll be using betmgm lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for betmgm yet use bonus code the athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to the athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with betmgm here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, it's time to get to Rhiannon and our conversation with her. Let's get to it. All right, now I want to welcome on Rhiannon Walker, who is in a unique position in that she covered Dwayne Haskins during his time in Washington. And this weekend when the news came down uh, about his death and and there was obviously an outpouring from so many people on social media and just the the Twitter response to it, Rhiannon's reaction to it really struck me. It, It jumped out to me. She told a story about Dwayne and when she was covering the Washington football team and really just gave us a window into who he was as a person. And that's the conversation I wanted to have because when I was sitting here and thinking about the news and how to process it uh, during Saturday afternoon, that's what I kept coming back to is just this idea of who people are beyond what they are on the field, beyond what we understand from them in any sort of outward way. And I really wanted to chat with Rhiannon about that. Rhiannon, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Robert, thank you so much for having me on. You know how I feel. Um, it's always a privilege, and I always love working with you, talking with you. So thank you again for having me. Absolutely. I, we'll just start with a, a fairly general question. Based on your time around him, based on your time covering him, if someone asked you how you'll remember Dwayne Haskins, what would you say? I wish my camera wasn't broken so you could actually see me smiling. Um, he was... He was so nice. I mean, he was, he was genuinely kind. I think he was being inserted into a situation where I believe when he came in, he was 21 or he, yes, he was 21, just turned 22 for the start of camp. He was trying to become the franchise quarterback for the Washington football team, as they were called at the time, Washington Commanders now, and trying to figure this whole thing out. And that was... A challenge, but within that, he was so nice. I met him first time was when he was introduced on the steps of the Jefferson Memorial, which the uh, head of communications at the time, Tony Wilder, was so excited about this. And I mean, it was so cool. It was very windy that day, and he's just like, "You guys have never had this happen before." And no, we hadn't. Um, he came in with Montez <laughs> sweat. Um, we we're down there. I remember my parents dropped me off, and Dwayne's family was there as well too. Um, and it's just one of those things. Like he had this. Big smile. Everybody's talked about the big smile. And it's true. It was. I mean, you see that a lot with him. Um, but what people didn't really get a chance to see was how introverted he is. He was very, very quiet. And I, I'm an extrovert. I can I can feel that out in the room like very easily. Uh, so you, you um, and me like, <laughs> <laughs> And so he was for somebody who's in this quarterback role at this young age for this franchise that is desperate to have a signal caller finally step up and take the reins and, you know, propel this team forward. Having this more quiet demeanor having this more chill personality. Um, Sometimes it came off a certain type of way to people, like he was indifferent or whatever the case may be, but you don't get to this stage of the game without being a hard worker, right? You don't get to be the starting quarterback in a competition between him and Joe Burrow. I know he was injured at Ohio State without being somewhat talented. Um, You don't say to somebody when you step foot on Ohio State's campus, I want to come here, make that happen without that kind of hard work and dedication. But beyond how I met him, can I be frank with you all? Being a beat reporter is hard. 
it's really, really challenging, actually. And it was something that I feel most comfortable when I do feature stories. I always have felt more comfortable getting to know people. I am an empath. If you have ever gotten to know me, most people can feel that about me. And that's something I'll tell anybody is that I do really well when I get to talk to people about those deep stories, like what makes a person tick, why something is the way it is, explaining what a situation is versus just that instant analysis. I don't think I always get the full picture when something has just happened. I like to take my time with stuff to give the full explanation of why the thing is a thing. Um, Being a beat reporter, coming into it when I came into it, was really challenging for a multitude of different reasons. There was this new job with a lot of responsibility with a team that has a very ravenous fan base and the fans were fantastic. I mean, this is the area I'm from. I didn't feel the challenge necessarily there, but in some ways I feel like I can resonate with him. It's just like you step into something where people are paying a lot of attention to you. So your shortcomings, when you do well, when you do badly, um, it can be a lot. And especially if you're particularly hard on yourself, I'll be the first to tell you I'm a perfectionist. It's really hard for me when I don't get good at something the first time through. The challenges of being a beat reporter, it's beating people like Ian Rapport, Adam Schefter, who have all these long-term connections. It's beating people at the local level, like Nikki Jabala, who's on the Washington Post, or Ben. Like He has a lot of people as well, too, um, that he's able to connect with as well. And you're near a competitive person, and that seems like the metric for success and you're not reading, reaching that metric, it's very hard. Um, and you can get within yourself. And sometimes I felt like I could sort of more or less sense that with Dwayne, I think at some level, we're not, we weren't far apart in age either. If he was 21, 22, that was the first draft class I ever covered with the Washington football team as well too. Um, and I didn't try to force it. It was one of those things where if you, like if people wanna know like, how do we start talking actually? Um, I'm known for wearing my Tims all the time, all year long, don't care. I like wearing them. They're stylish, like they work with everything. I don't know what people want me to say. They're a they, functional shoe. They're a very functional shoe. They work with dag on their everything. And so after a while, um, I got used to wearing them quite a bit. And so we actually started talking because he would make jokes about the fact I was wearing Tims all the time. Um, <laughs> and that was okay with me. The thing is, it's like, to be frank with you, I, I don't mind standing out. I already stand out in the locker room as a black woman in there. So, I mean, it's not like anything else for me at that point to do anything else that might get somebody's attention. Like you do those kinds of things, though, as a reporter, or at least I do. It's like I connect with these players because we're closer in age. I connect with these players because we have similar sense and things we like style wise. Like we talk about shoes or like we'll talk about different sports. I think most people know I played basketball up to a point. So, I mean, I can even have conversations there about just playing sports at a somewhat high level. And so what is the secret talent that you have? Like that was one of the stories I did in 2019 is what is your, why is your number your number? And why, what is the secret talent that nobody knows about you? And Dwayne can be kind of brief with people just dependent on whatever the case may be. He actually sat and answered the question. And one of the things he was really good at was art. Uh, and he designed his own tattoos actually as well too. So some of the tattoos that you saw on him, he designed them himself. And I thought that was so cool. Um, explaining the number and why it was important for him to have seven. Um, and he talked about religion. He talked about his faith. He talked about all kinds of different stuff. And so, people, like I said, people outside had their impressions about him. And I'm not saying he wasn't without mistakes. I'm not, but I am saying that the way that people talked about them, they were so critical. They were so harsh towards him. And I always thought that was so perplexing. It never really made a whole bunch of sense to me because I'm like, you don't know him. You're you're saying these things because you're not directly in front of him. And I don't really get the idea of putting someone down that you just don't know. These are human beings too. They just have a very high profile job, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you just get to make whatever remarks you want to make about them. I, it's It has consequences. I mean, that's something I've certainly seen with athletes like when they, they see this stuff. And that's something he talked about is that he did care what people had to say about him. How could you not as a person? 
and and that's it's i think you comparing your your experience to him is is perfect just because when i was sitting there thinking about it and you and i talked about this a little bit this weekend him coming in as a 21 year old i can't imagine having all of your professional missteps early in your career happen in public like that as someone who had his fair share of them I got to have them in private. I got to work through those things early in my career as a young person throughout my 20s and all the mistakes that I was allowed to make and come back from. We don't afford the same leeway and grace to athletes often. And he didn't have that chance. He, he had to endure that stuff in public. And I think that what I've really kind of sat and thought about as it relates to this is that we fixate on achievement as a culture, as a way to dictate someone's worth. What you do professionally feeds into the way that we talk about a person's worth. And everything that people close to him have said here in the last 48, 72 hours is about his personality and how kind he was. The story you told that you had a migraine after a game and he came over and was willing, like, giving you ginger ale and giving you a chair to sit down on and asking you if you were okay. And it just, it's so important to me to separate whatever a person's career path is and what they've achieved in that arena versus how we talk about them as a person. Because what you are in private and what you are behind closed doors and how you treat people can be the way that you dictate your self-worth. Maybe it should be the way that we dictate people's worth and not what he did in an arena like professional football, which like you alluded to, even getting to that space is unbelievably difficult and puts you in the top half of a percent of half of a percent of all people on the planet and in America. And, and I just think that that's really what has struck me is just that there's this this difficulty and obviously with the reaction to his, his death in the news and that was an entirely different layer of this and entirely another layer of this. But that's kind of what I've been sitting with over the last couple of days, just this inability for so many of us to separate the fact that who people are in their day-to-day and every moment of their lives versus who they are and what they achieve in their professional arena, those can be two different things. And I think it's important to extricate those things, especially in moments like this. And that's without question. It's, it's interesting. I was in LA for a vacation about three weeks or so ago. And my friend, uh, Trudy, she's at Spotify. She had me watching this, this sit down with Michael Beasley. Um, like I said, my interest is in people telling me how they really feel about stuff and their genuine concerns, like when they're comfortable and that's okay. And watching Michael Beasley talk about how he never really felt like he got the help. It was just kind of like people just thought he was acting out. And it's kind of like, you have no idea what I've been through to reach this point. Now, they have two different backgrounds. I'm not comparing in that way. But there was a point where it became very clear how much it weighed on him and he started crying and he's like this is a lot he's like i didn't have anybody to open up to and talk to and when i tried to extend to ask people for help i didn't get that help and that hurt and it's just like you know i'll do anything for anybody i i couldn't get that back and like people don't people see somebody acting out but it's like why don't you ask what's going on why don't you ask what's wrong why do you assume the worst in people and that's really with Dwayne, like one of those things that i couldn't figure out like why assume the worst in people because like i said the way that i met him he was polite to me when I first met him um, when we were at the Jefferson Memorial. He was concerned when I showed you the video from Instagram where he threw the pass towards the end zone. And uh, what's the face? His teammate hit me and well, his teammate got decked, not me. But he came over after the fact and made the quip is just like, look at you giving out hits. 
I was not. I most certainly promise I was not. I just, I can at least hold my own a bit, but he, he's like, but you're good though. Like you're okay. Yeah, I am okay. But I appreciate you for asking um, and everything else like that. He was thrown out in the New York Giants game. And, you know, I thought, you know, I always thought that was kind of cruel to make the point of him not being prepared to show that on such a stage. Um, to get the point across to whoever Jay Gruden was, I believe, trying to get the point to that he wasn't ready. But I don't think you have to embarrass somebody. That's just my personal opinion. Um, so even moving past that, I can't remember. I cannot remember the specific game. But you know what? Actually, out of that New York Giants game, I'll tell you, seeing somebody be real, letting those emotions come to face. Because one of the things about Dwayne is he always tried to have the demeanor of like calmness, of not being phased, of not being bothered, what have you. After that Giants game, the team lost, I think it was 24 to three. And it was a September is an October game. I think it was October though, but, oh no, it was September, excuse me. And so he comes to the podium to talk because he was the quarterback that finished the game. And I could tell he was nervous. Why could I tell? His voice was shaking when he was on the the stand. He kept tapping it with his hands to the point where PR was like, hey, you have to stop tapping it. Because it's like, that's a real human. He just played his first professional football game, the team lost. He didn't play particularly well. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, he was just like, you know, you see a smile on his face and like, you know, like get used to seeing the smile on his face. Like he wanted so badly for things to turn out positively. He wanted so badly for the things that he was telling himself that this was going to work, that he was going to be the player that people expected him to be, that he was going to be the quarterback to leave Washington to its old glory. He believed that he was going to be that guy. All right. Um, And it hurt him to lose. People may not believe that, but it hurt him to lose. He wasn't indifferent about that kind of a situation whatsoever. The things that also made him, in addition to that, like pretty cool is, yes, when I was having, I have, I've had chronic migraines my entire life. It's one of those things that I just deal with for the most part. Um, And I don't know what happened. I usually take medicine. I I can usually feel when it's coming on. The medicine I took that day just didn't work. And so I'm at the stadium, I'm at FedEx, it's loud, whatever the case may be, it's after a loss, what have you. Um, and I'm not the kind of person that stands off by myself. Like I usually have a pretty good idea of who I want to talk to in the locker room and I just go over to them. But in this particular situation, and like I told you, I'm an extrovert. I was off by myself. I couldn't really focus. It was hard for me to function at that point in time. And just based on the interactions we'd had over those few months, he recognized that there was something not right with me. So he came over and he asked me, hey, are you okay? And pointed out that I don't look good. And I'm sure I didn't look that great because my head injury, like when I have like head stuff, I I just feel very out of it. I'm lethargic, I'm very tired. I don't talk much because it light sensitivity, sound sensitivity is all bad. Um, and smell too, considering we're in the locker room. And so he asked me to stay there. He went to the team fridge. He got me the Gatorade, he got me a ginger ale. He brought me a chair. Cause I think he was nervous about me fainting possibly. Um, and I do faint that that does happen actually, but I never had disclosed that to anybody, but he sat with me. He asked me if I felt like maybe the trainer needed to be brought in and it was bringing attention to me. And one thing I don't like, I don't like attention. I'm not the focus point of any story. I just want to write the stories about people. I want people to know who people are. I want to talk about that. I don't really want to talk about myself. And that's something I even talked about with everything that came out in the summer of 2020 is that I hate being the focal point of any story. Cause it's not about me. That's not the job I signed up for. If that was the case, I think I would do more of a broadcast stuff where you see me front and center versus writing, um, where it could be a little bit more of an anonymity in anonymity, but people started noticing, I promised that I was okay. Um, you know, he said, if there's anything else, let him know. He had to talk to, it's still like, there's still people that want to talk to him in the locker room. I know he had like, he had to talk podium, but like he 
you know, people still walk out with you and talk with you and stuff like that as well, too. But I appreciate the fact that one, he didn't have to notice Two, there are people that wanted to talk to him and he stopped to do this. Um, and three, my point being, again, that he was a very genuine and kind person because there was no reason for him to do that. For all his purposes, he could have got the trainer from the start and been completely washed his hands of the situation. He could have. That was his choice not to do so um, and to stay there. And so at every instance, interaction that I had with him, even, for instance, uh, when I tell people it's, this job is hard, I get... I get anxious. It's weird. I get very anxious about asking people for their numbers, especially being a woman. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea, the wrong impression. And like, even though I know that's not how I conduct myself, it just, you never know. And it's something I hate to do. And so even though I was cool, Dwayne, I had never asked for his number up to a point. Like if anything I had to talk to him about, I just talked to him in the locker room, but I knew there were some things I just would have to text with him about. So that whole process, like I was nervous about it for whatever reason. And just, he knew there was something up. He's like, do you need something? And I was just like, look because you know what for me it is it's just like I hate pestering people I hate feeling like I'm this kind of parasite like I need something from you but truly what do you get out of it from me to be quite honest with you and as a any one of my friends will tell you I have a really strong moral compass I feel bad about bothering somebody I feel bad about having to ask somebody for something constantly 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 and there's not like I a fair balance very well it, it feels bad I feel like a bad person and so I just again like that's one of those humps that like I kind of kind of got over with but it's just um I guess when you go with things a genuine way people don't mind helping you though and that was kind of like his way of going about it it's just like you can just ask for my number we're cool like if you need something just let me know and like I'll help you out and he meant that and he did we would talk and yeah I mean I would tell him I was like this job is hard like without question I have to do a lot of things that make me uncomfortable I have to chase people I have to pester people when he and I met I was like six months into that into that role and it's just I could feel that. I hate the idea that I'm not living up to my own expectations. I hate disappointing people even more. And I think until I got to the point where I felt like I kind of had a, a hold or a foot on what it was I was doing, I just felt very out of sorts. And so it was kind of nice to have somebody else in the locker room to talk with about that. That was my age that sort of more or less could understand about that. Because he went to Ohio State, because he was somebody that was a big time prospect in the DMV area, it, I, it it surprised him even like just how much like attention was on him but I'm sitting there telling him like you're a quarterback not only that you're a black quarterback by nature you're an introvert and you want to keep some stuff close to the vest people will misinterpret that they may think poorly of you because you choose not to share like your standoffish or something like that when that's just not the case try to be as open as you can with the people that you feel like you can trust in this room to be really frank with you it was really nice having him in the locker room and uh, one other fun little story is um <laughs> So I have a limited shoe collection outside of my tent. I'm trying to update it. I'm trying to get it better. I promise I am. Uh, I have a friend, Kareem Copeland, who has like shoes for days. Like it's crazy how many shoes that man has. But the players, like I said, they pay attention to that kind of stuff. So I walked in. I have these very special pair of Jordan 8s. They're the OVO crossover with Drake. And so hard to come by, hard to get, got them. And so I walk in the locker room with them and... Dwayne sees these shoes and he's like what shoes are these and I'm sitting here like I mean you're the sneaker king you should know the shoes so what shoes are these he's like those are Jordan 7s I was like mm, already off I was like I don't know about what kind of sneaker king you are that is the wrong answer buddy <laughs> he's like those are 7s I was like here to t I took the shoe off my foot I was like is that your final answer he's like he walked around the locker room he's like what, what what shoes are these? What shoes are these? Da, 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 da. Some people said eight. Some people said sevens. He's like, I'm telling you, these are Jordan sevens. I was like, look on the tongue. He's like, no, you're lying. I was like, no, I'm not. 
they're eights and they're the ovio ones. I was like, if you're going to come at the king, you best not miss. He said, I'm coming for you the rest of the season after this. So we we just chuckled. We just chuckled. Um, shoot, my first. Oh, God, I can't believe I forgot this one. Even like my first year. Uh, I will tell people I'm a sensitive person, but I'm not an overly emotional person. But in 2019, his first season, my um, my grandma Terry died in December 1st. And I remember I was in the locker room and there was a song playing that she really, really liked. She just she was just one of those old songs that like I thought about her with that particular song. And I refuse to cry in front of people. I really do. So there's these couches that are in the team locker room that when you walk in initially and you go towards the locker room, you pass them. I went back outside and I was sitting on the couches and I just I couldn't stop crying. I really couldn't stop crying. I didn't get a chance to see her. Um, one of the things with this job is it doesn't give you a lot of time. You sign up for that and that's okay. I was in the hallway and I was, was crying and Dwayne saw me and he asked me what was going on. Um, he he was going to get me a water and I was like, no, no, like, you know, it's okay. Like you just, you know, do what you were doing. Like, it's all good. Um, he's like, no, he's like, what's going on? Like, cause I don't cry. I'm not usually upset. People don't ever really see me upset. And so I just told him my grandmother had passed and the song was playing in the in a team facility that made me think about her and I was having a hard time with it. And um, I don't like to hug players. That's not my thing. But he asked me to make an exception for the world. He's just like, come on, we're human. Be- we're human beings. Like, you're clearly going through it. Like, if somebody saw this, who cares what they think? He's like, you know what's going on. I know what's going on and you need the hug. He's like, you shouldn't. He's like, you shouldn't be out here by yourself. He's like, I don't even know why you're here right now. Like, you should go home. And I said, I have a job to do. I have a job to do. I have to cover you all. I can't go home just because I'm having a moment. So um, he uh, he gave me this hug and he, he said a prayer for me. And he I told you guys, he was a religious person. And he said a prayer for me. Um, and he just sat there. Like I said, this is the quarterback of the team. You don't. I wasn't looking for one-on-one time. I, I didn't really want him to sit there with me, to be frank with you, because again, it attracts a lot of attention. Dwayne reached out to me when people found out that I had been sexually harassed. Like, people just don't know how good of a person he was. They don't really have any idea. They don't have any idea. And they just talk so much trash about him. They were so cruel to him. And it's even more disappointing in some regards because within this franchise, even alone, you have guys like Sean Taylor and people have learned, I think, nothing about when it comes to talking about athletes, treating them with kindness, treating them with a measure of empathy or sympathy, just trying to put themselves in other people's shoes. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from To Kill a Mockingbird, where Atticus is talking about Boo Radley. And sometimes you have to you have to be in somebody's skin, like walk around in somebody else's skin. Um, it wasn't hard for me to put myself in his shoes because I guess I felt like I was going through it in my own particular way with my journalism career, but uh, people just railed on him. And I guess it was easy because it's at a safe distance and it's the thing to do, but he really tried. I'm curious, like this person who, again, like people had their impression of him, but like I said, every interaction I had with him was a good one. Like he was a good person. I feel like I can say that he was a good person. So why? And I'm at a loss. If you want to be even more real, this doesn't, feel real that doesn't feel real at all to be quite frank with you absolutely i mean it, it's it's incredibly hard to process and i think that it will be for a while for a lot of people i mean to be 24 and again to be robbed of that chance to 
to tell the rest of your story and football or not and to get to live that out and to get to further be you know like you said a brother and a son and every single aspect of, of who he was to everybody else i'm just glad that we got to understand who he was to you and who he was to you know people around there even at a time when there was an outside perspective of what those years were like to him so i really appreciate you taking the time to do this sincerely robert thank you again for having me on the show and um you know whatever comes after this comes after this but I appreciate you giving me the chance to reflect about it because I've just kind of been sitting here, I guess, in a state of disbelief. So I appreciate you again for having me on to talk. Absolutely. Thank you very much for doing it. All right, guys, that is all we have today. Thank you so much to Nate for digging into some of those teams with the most at stake in this year's draft. Thank you so much to Rhiannon for that conversation. Sincerely appreciate the time from both of them. Sincerely appreciate the time from all of you guys. If you could please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would really appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic. A lot of great stuff uh, on The Athletic right now. Shield did a great piece today about the what the offseason moves from every NFL team have told us about them. I think if you want to go just get a nice little synopsis of what the last couple months have looked like and what we can learn from them, that's a great place to start. You can go look at every single team in the league and what their needs are and where they sit before the draft. All of our writers did that as an exercise. That helped me a lot as I was preparing for this podcast. So if you want to get kind of the table setter as we get toward the draft here for where every single team in the league sits, that's something you can get at The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. Highly encourage you to do that. You can also check out Nate's work from last week about the quarterbacks. So please, if you have not read that, go check it out. We will be back tomorrow with Dane and Lance in their latest draft episode. I will be back on Thursday with Deontay Lee. Really looking forward to that. In the meantime, appreciate you guys. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.